0: Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is the podcast, Woman and Mythology, and I'm your host, Maria. In today's episode, we're going to look at the eight traps within the story of the Red Shoes. If you haven't heard the tale and the brief interpretation of the story yet, I invite you to return to the previous episodes. If you're ready to explore the traps, let's begin. We have seen that the story of the Red Shoes is about losing sense of ourselves, injuring our instinct, trying to return from that domesticated state and entering the feral self and being stuck there and not being able to complete the transformation and return to the wild woman archetype. The loss of this tale is a loss of passionate vitality, is a loss of a self-designed life. And here, I must bring a warning, a kind of a disclaimer that Clarissa Pincolestez offers to us in her book, Women Who Run with the Wolves. She says that taking on a too tamed life leads to a loss of perception, leads to excess, a loss of ground, a loss of feet. And I think that's very important. Once we have our lives very sterile and We live that kind of life that has no space for creativity, no space for curiosity, a life that is very trimmed, a life that is very groomed. What happens is our instinct becomes more and more injured. Our ability to listen to our intuition also diminishes. It is never completely lost, but it definitely weakens, and we need to do even bigger work to return to that wild, natural state. We've seen already what is the feral woman archetype, and Clarissa also brings to us the idea that women of all ages are susceptible to compensate for the famine. The famine is the hombre del alma, the hunger for the soul. But she also says that especially the young women, or more driven to compensate. I invite you here to reflect and remember about your youth, your times as an adolescent. Have you ever, because you were looking for something soulful, because you were looking for wholeness, because you were looking for a strong sense of self, ended up feeling this famine, this strong hunger for the soul that leads you to eat anything that resembles it? That said. Not only the young, women of all ages are susceptible to it. And that would lead us to cages. Cages is another big symbol of this story because the first trap that we have is the gilded carriage, which is kind of a cage. Cage are the small lives we are trapped into it. The cages make our lives smaller. Sometimes it is a job or a religion, or a marriage. Remembering that all these things can be a liberation as well. It depends on the way we relate to it. So here we come to the first trap that this story shows us, the carriage, the gilded carriage. So the carriage acts like a cage. And just because it's gilded, just because it's covered in gold, it does not make it any better. Remember, a golden cage is still a cage. The difference here between the carriage and the cage is that the carriage carries you from one place to another. The carriage has this mobility. So it it transforms the psyche from one place to another. It carries you from one ideas and thoughts to new ones the gilded carriage, because it's gilded, because it is all adorned in gold, it overwhelms the simple joy of the shoes. Here, it's such a classic example. Imagine a woman going about her life, following her soul life. Perhaps that means um, working in a natural environment or working with some form of art or just doing things in her own way. And then, she is offered an opportunity that seemed so good, especially by mainstream society. And it overwhelms the simple joy of her current life. Remembering that the handmade life, it is a life filled with passion. It is vibrant, but it also has difficulties. It also has struggles. So it's very easy to overwhelm it with promises of goodness. The carriage is also similar to the cage because it captures, not perceptible at first, but once the girl is in it, she is not living her handmaid's life anymore. The first traps for a woman's life, this first gilded carriage, might sound like this, and I will hear offer you a small reading from the book Women Who Run With The Wolves. So we marry the wrong person because it makes our economic lives easier. We give up on a new piece we're working on and go back to using the easier but old tire-out one we've been pushing around the floor for the last 10 years. We don't take that good poem into the finer-than-fine range, but leave it in its third draft instead of ranking it through it one more time. There are many things that try to force, sweep, seduce away those handmade shoes. Seeming simple things like saying, later I'll do that dance. Planting, hugging, finding, planning, learning, peacemaking, cleansing, later, traps, all. So here I invite you to reflect, what are the traps, what are the cages that you have been in or that you are currently in? We can have, of course, big cages, those that are extremely draining to our soul life, but there are also some kind of small ones. The desire to have it easier is a trap in some ways. It is the ego's need to have things easier. We've talked about this in episode four with the story of Manowit and the dual self and how the ego self once things easier, but we need to be careful not to be driven only by the outer self, by the ego self, and pay attention to our soul self as well. The girl in the story does not do that, and she enters the gilded carriage. And it's interesting to notice that she's not forced in. The old lady does seem very adamant and very strong in her Telling of like, come in and I will take care of you. But she is not like, you need to come now, otherwise I will kill you or anything like that. It is an invitation, a firm one, but it's still an invitation and the girl falls for it. The girl follows. And there we have trap number two, the dry old woman. She is the main value system pressing down the psyche guiding it where it pleases. We need to remember that when looking at the tale, we're looking at parts of ourself. Everything in the story is a symbol of our inner world. So here we have someone guiding this carriage. Of course, there is a coachman there, but she's the one who tells the coachman where to go. So we've seen that it will take the girl from her handmade life into a new life. It takes the psyche From one place that had outer difficulty, but also had passion, also had a strong sense of self, into a different state. Ideally, an old person would have dignity, empathy, knowledge, experience. She would be an elder. That's what we would like to see. But here we have a very unhealthy elder archetype. We have one that instead of mentoring this young girl, using all her resources and tools because she is a rich old lady, she will use all her tools to try to calcify this girl to perpetuate the system that probably calcified her as well. So we have a very, let's say, unhealthy elder. And I will question you, who are the elders in your psyche? Are they mentoring you, encouraging you towards a soul life, towards a strong sense of self, or are they aiming to calcify? You could consider reflecting on the outer elders. So, for example, a grandmother or an older woman who symbolize this for you, but also on the ones that you have within you. We all have the voice of the inner elder within us. For the old woman, The collective church's opinion values more than the soul. She is in some ways the keeper and enforcer of these opinions. We need to remember that we are influenced by many collectives. And the key here is to know which collectives to hear. Is it of your upbringing, of your parents, of your friends, of TV and mainstream media? Is it of patriarchy as a whole? Which are the collectives that have influenced your life or that are dictating your life? So succumbing to the dry old woman is trap number two. Succumbing to the collective, succumbing to a part of ourselves that believes things need to be done in a certain way that leaves no space for soul. That leads us to trap number three. Soul famine. So after falling into trap number one and trap number two, soul famine is born within us. Soul famine is the hambre del alma, is this hunger for something soulful. And it happens when we sacrifice our soul life for not life-giving things. When the soul life burns, a famine for soul will take over ferociously and famished. And the woman might want anything to satiate her, even if it's not soulful or from the wild joy. And the symbol for this in the story is when the old woman burns her clothes and especially her handmade shoes. Fire is transformation. This is essentially the burning we want, the burning of transformation, that our handmade shoes, our handmade life is Constantly transformed, but there is also another side of this fire, the fire of disuse, the fire of devaluing one's own work, the fire of self-imposed silence, the fire of self-hatred, fire of jealousy, of destructiveness towards the oneself. I'll read here a passage from the book Women Who Run with the Wolves that speaks about this fire of self-hatred. A woman's life may die away in the fire of self-hatred, for complexes can bite hard and, at least for a time, successively frighten her away from coming too near the work or life that matters to her. Many years are spent in not going, not moving, not learning, not finding out, not obtaining, not taking on, not becoming. And a woman, when she enters this state of soul famine, she becomes hungry for instinctual gifts of creativity and awareness. But because her instinct is injured, she starts going for anything but what will actually satiate her. As Clarissa says, when a woman has gone without her cycles of creative needs for long periods of times, she begins a rampage of you name it. Alcohol, drugs, anger, spirituality, oppression of others, promiscuity, pregnancy, study, creation, control, education, orderliness, body fitness, junk food, to name a few areas of common excess. When women do this, they are compensating for the loss of regular cycles of self-expression, soul expression, and soul satiation. And who have not been there? or who have not seen a woman in that state, a state of deep soul hunger that is excess after excess. Clarissa says that nine times out of ten, women's excess are led from soul famine, or led because women want something soulful and they cannot find it, because they are in the state of the feral woman. An example, an analogy with the wolves is that a wolf, when he is injured, a wolf that has been traumatized, might attack without reason. A wolf that was once injured and then, let's say, released to the wild, he might see someone and attack that person, even if there is no threat. The truth is that women and wolves are deeply scared of being captured again. So they become and enter this feral state. That leads us to trap number four, injury to instinct. First, let's just speak a little bit about what is instinct. Instinct for Jung might be derived from where biology and spirit touch. It is related to impulse, to investigation. Something between biology and spirit, isn't that beautiful? And we know that a woman is born with her instincts intact. To injure it brings silence, stops development. A woman is unable to flee, to leave. She might fall into depression when her instinct is injured. An example to it is animals in a zoo, even though they're treated well and they have plenty of food and they're not in danger, they develop an animal depression and they are unable to breed. They are unable to mate. They become lethargic. And it reminds me of what we've spoken before about this too tamed life. A too tamed life stops development. It creates injury to instinct. I believe we've all have some form of injury to our instinct. It is very difficult to go through life in this current society without in, collecting almost injuries to our instinct, but there are ways to heal it. And to heal our instinct injury, we need to acknowledge that a capture has taken place, that we were taken by a certain collective, and that soul famine has followed, that once we have complied with that collective, we have become hungry for soul, and that boundaries of insights or protection have been disturbed. And that perhaps we have led it to commit an excess. And that we, only we, can reverse the capture and the famine. A very good example of a feral woman is Janice Joplin. Clarissa described how as a child and a young woman, she had this passion for music but she was not allowed to pursue it. And she would sneak out of her house to watch musicians playing. And when she finally had freedom from her household, from her parents, from the collective that she was in, she had no boundaries around sex, drugs, and alcohol. And that led to her death in a very young age. We know that to be proper, Heals opportunity to expand to develop that the creative self the creative life needs play not properness play is the medicine for the creative self and here in the story of the red shoes she is captured by the gilded carriage she's taken to the house of the old lady she her whole clothes are burned and. She is act to only speak if spoken to, to not skip, to not dance, to not do certain things. And she becomes proper and proper and proper. She has no time to play, no time to create her handmade shoes. She has no time or opportunity to dedicate herself to her creative life. And that leads us to trap number five. Her soul famine is so big that she is going to sneak a secret life at the shoemaker so the first opportunity she sees she sneaks a strange red shoes her hunger for the soul is taking whatever it can lay its hands on for it knows it might be repressed again When she's in the shoemaker house, she doesn't know when she's going to get an opportunity to perhaps leave the home of the old lady or to see another pair of shoes. She thinks, okay, now it's my chance. So she grabs it. And here in our contemporary life, we have other ways of sneaking things, other things that we sneak. Women sneak furtive thinking and dreams of revolution. They sneak time away from their mates and family. They sneak a treasure into the house. They sneak their writing time, their thinking time, their soul time. They sneak a spirit into the bedroom, a poem before work. They sneak a skip or an embrace when no one is looking. And you might be thinking, oh, but what's the problem with this? This gives that sense of soul that allows us to be, you know, continuing our path, gives that kind of little medicine we need. If it is something that is building up to an escape to create a handmade life moved by passion and vitality, that is fine. If it's leading to a bigger escape, to a bigger transformation. If it is a sneak that it's just to be able to hold on, then it's actually even more dangerous because we sneak a poem, let's say here and there, and we think that that is going to satiate our soul hunger. It is not. It is just going to be another tool that keeps us in the cage because we think to ourselves, oh, I can at least do a little poem here and there so I can hang on here for a few more years. Or we might not even be aware of this and we might just be spending our ears in a certain state sneaking something here or there. Clarissa also describes the kind of women that sneaks, and I would like to read this paragraph to you. Women with poor marriages do this. Women made to feel inferior do this. Women filled with shame. Women fearing punishment, ridicule, or humiliation do this. Instinct-injured women do this. Sneaking is good for a captured woman only if she sneaks the right thing only if that thing leads to her liberation. In essence, sneaking good and feeling and brave pieces of life causes the soul to be even more determined that the sneaking stopped and that can be free to lead life out in the open as it sees fit. In the story of the red shoes, the shoemaker is the natural predator within the psyche. And, of course, on the culture as well. But as we've seen in the story of Bluebeard, it is our inner predators of the psyche that enables the outer predators. In the story, the girl does not rebel in a way that helps her. How would it be a way that helps her? Perhaps it would be exploring the house of the old lady and finding some cloth or using even the clothes that she received from the old lady and making her shoes. It was perhaps asking, she was a, a rich lady, asking for tutoring classes of design or exploring, you know, resources that could help her create her handmade life. That might have been a good rebellion or even running away from that house. But no, the way she rebels is by buying shoes that the old lady cannot see the color, that she cannot see how scandalous it is and sneaking that in. An example of the outer world is a married woman with an agreed monogamic relationship, unhappy in her marriage, sneaking in a romantic relationship with someone else. And that leads us to the next trap, trap number six, shadow rebellion. The truth is, it's that it's hard to hide a stolen life and stolen pleasures. It will catch up to us. We must remember that wild woman does not refuse to fit. She simply cannot fit without also dying. And what happens is so many women get accustomed and think that they should die. They should let that side of themselves, the soul self, die. They think that is normal. It is normal to live a life where we are not extremely vital and passionate, but we are functional. And she allows that self to die. I will speed things up a little because of the length of our episode leading us to trap number seven, normalizing the abnormal. She by now have tried to gone without a soul life. She tried sneaking a life and nothing worked. So she will try to be good. She will in some ways allow her soul self to die. The problem with being good is that it cuts her even further from her soul, her knowing, her ability to act. Normalizing the abnormal causes the spirit to fall into blindness. And here is very interesting because I feel that our patriarchal society is doing that 24 seven. We normalized the abnormal. We normalize jobs that are draining. We normalize a routine that is soul-sucking. We normalize a life where passion only happens during vacation time or maybe a few hours on the weekend. And that is not normal. There is an interesting experiment done with a dog that he was placed in a cage and shocks were given on, let's say, the left side of the cage at with intervals of time. The dog realized that and moved to the right side of the cage. Then they changed. They started giving the shocks on the right side of the cage, and the dog moved to the left. And the same happened when they were giving shocks at the back of the cage, and the dog moved to the front. After a while, they started giving shocks randomly at the bottom of the cage, and it did not matter where the dog moved. He would always receive the shock. After they opened the door of the cage and they gave the shock, the dog did not move. The dog did not flee. The dog did not run. The door was open. The door of the cage is open. We can leave. The dog could leave, but he normalized the abnormal. He normalized the pain. He normalized living like that. And that is what so many of us have done we become used to the shocks, we become used to the oppression, and we silence. But, Wild Woman, and I hope this work is here to remind you, we cannot silence. We are her voice. We are the voice of the Wild Woman archetype. She lives within us. When we silence, she silences So what can we do? We need to repair the instinct. That dog had so much injury to its instinct that it did not know how to flee. We need to repair our instinct so we know how to evacuate and leave and transform situations that are soul-sacrificing to us and return to our handmade life. Let's move to trap number eight, dancing out of control. The old woman, she is supposed to be the elder, but she is in an unhealthy state. We see that. And she is unable to see. She is blind in the story. So here we see also, she is not just unhealthy because she is enforcing a collective that represses and oppress, but also because she is unable to see. She cannot see the joy of the psyche. She cannot see the child for who it is. And here, sometimes we have that. A part of our psyche cannot see the joy of us, the what moves us. So the child falls into a frenetic dance. There is no rest for her. She puts on the shoes and the shoes takes control. These shoes, the one that she bought at the shoemaker, is a trap. And this could be poor relationships, drugs, abusive situations. Towards the end of the story, the old lady dies. And this means that now the psyche has a void. There is no ground. The girl dances out of control. And we need to remember that a woman cannot make up for a lifetime of wounds, of injuries, through excesses. She must go to the executioner's house. She must end addiction all at once. Clarissa says that is our only hope. And she enters the executioner's house. He knows she is coming. There is the the axe there. The axe is a symbol of a descent. She's going to go through another descent after this. In some ways, the tale will end. Of course, the story ends. But we know that our life does not. Our life continues. She begs for the executioner to cut off the shoes. And he tries. He cuts off only the strap. But that's not enough. To cut only a little bit of the addiction is not enough in life. We need to cut the whole thing out. Of course, when that happens, there is a dismemberment. She loses her feet. But we know, and we will see in the story of the Handless Maiden, that the feet will grow back again if we do the work. It is painful, yes. It is difficult, yes. She's going to live as a beggar for a while, yes but she never wished for the red shoes again. She will have her life back. We need to trust that when we cut the excesses, when we cut the sneaking out of her life, when we leave the cages, we are going to go through our difficulties, but we are going to have our life again. I hope that this story has given you insights on the right and wrong turns in a woman's life. It has opened you to reflect in which aspects of your life are you missing soul? Are you missing soul food? Where are your excesses? In the fairy tale, the protagonist is unable to complete the transformation. And because of it, we have a brutal ending. But that does not need to be the ending of our life. We can continue the path and allow our feet to grow again. We must Fight the demon, both archetypally and in consensuous reality. And remember that at the bottom is the best ground to grow something new. For us to finish, I invite you to reflect, what do you need to take to the executioner's house? What do you need to immediately remove from your life? Maybe it is self-hatred. Maybe it is a person in the outer world or a practice you have. In our next episode, we will look into the story of Seal Skin Soul Skin, a beautiful story about the cycles of women and returning to our soul self. Until then, I invite you to act soulfully and observe others who have instinct intact. This is Central to Retrieval. as